Good morning. It's so good to see you guys. It's so good to be here. It's so good to be able to worship uh, freely, as Vern said, in this place uh, without fear of repercussion. It's so good to, uh, to sing God's praises together, to, to sing our prayers together this morning, that we're available to however God might move within us. And that is our prayer. And it's good to be with you uh, as we do that. My name's Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be, uh, I'll be sharing from the Gospel of John here in just a moment, and excited to get to that. But before we get to there, I just want to ask you guys, do you ever get caught um, on your phone maybe in social media and end up like kind of going down a, a rabbit trail? Does that ever happen to anybody or is no, just me? Okay, no, I see a couple of hands. Uh, for some reason, I, social media is really good at feeding you like the things that, you're, that you are interested in, right? And so lately, I confess that one of the things that I keep getting fed are clips from uh, the sitcom Friends. So that's probably because I'm like in my mid-40s and I grew up, you know, coming of age around the time that that sitcom was on. Some of you can relate. Some of you can relate through like syndication and having watched it more recently, like through Netflix and other places. Um, there's a scene in, in, in one of the episodes where Ross is one of the main characters and he's got some, a couple different love interests throughout the series of the show. Uh, but at one point he is interested in this woman from the UK named Emily. And some of you will remember this scene. He kind of meets her, they, they sort of connect and, and they're feeling good about like what's going on. And then Emily has to go back to England. And so she goes to the airport and Ross has like this heroic moment, right? Where he's like, okay, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something bold. And he like rushes to the airport and he runs through the airport so that he can find her and he catches up to her. And he says, hey, I, I just have to let you know uh, I've got this thing on my mind. I just feel like I have to say, I, I don't know, maybe it's easier if I just say it. I, I think I love you. And she looks at him and, and her face is kind of like, and, and she gives him a hug and, and she says, and she, and she backs away and she says, Thank you. And she walks away and gets on the plane. And he's like, um, no problem. <laughs> have you ever had a moment like that where, where you have expressed love to somebody and you weren't quite sure what the response was going to be? That is a vulnerable place to be. My wife and I were just at, at Disney recently in January. And um, we came across a couple of t-shirts that were pretty awesome. I don't know if we have that picture. Uh, this is another famous I love you moment that some of you might recognize from Star Wars. Han Solo and, and Princess Leia, and, and she says, I love you. And, and, and he very calmly and coolly says, I know, and takes off. Oh, man, and he improvised that line. That wasn't even in the script. That's amazing. Uh, but it just gets at the, it just tugs at our hearts, right? Love is a thing that makes us feel so vulnerable to put ourselves out there not knowing what the response is going to be in return. That is a vulnerable place to be. And we're going to talk about that vulnerability today, the vulnerability of love, as we wind up our sermon series called Redeemed Love. Just as a recap, where we've been these last several weeks, we've been talking about how love is so much richer and deeper and more meaningful than often the ways that we see it portrayed in culture and in society around us, right? It's more than just a romantic feeling. And so we've, we've kind of walked through this series of exploring the different avenues of, of how we see God's love manifest in the world. And so we started off in 1 John where we heard that God is love, Right? And that love is more than a feeling. It's, it's a choice. It's a decision. 
that we live into. And then we spent a few weeks in 1 Corinthians 13 in that famous passage that oftentimes we hear quoted at weddings, right? Uh, in, in Paul's words to the Corinthians, it, we hear that we are nothing. It doesn't matter how we speak, what we do. We are nothing if we do it without love. And then we heard about the character of love. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or envious or boastful, right? The character of God. And then finally we talked about how love of all these things, faith, hope, and love. Love is the one that will remain. Love never ends. The next week we looked at Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 and, and, and talked of kind of some of the, the, the marks of a Christian or what, what love in action looks like. It's, it's sincere. It, it, it causes us to live at peace no matter how we feel, uh, to try as much as we can within our power to be at peace with one another in unity through Christ. Uh, to bless those who curse us. To bless them. Bless those who persecute us. That's a different way of, of thinking about love, isn't it? And we talked last week, Vern and, and Ed preached about what it means to be rooted in love. From Ephesians chapter 3. That everything that we do has to start from that firm foundation of being planted and rooted in God's love for us. That's how we respond. That's how we act. That's how we interact in the world. And today... We're going to wrap up this series by looking at the way that our love is to mirror the love of Jesus. That we are supposed to love like Jesus loved us in a way that is open and vulnerable and sacrificial. And so we're going to do that by reading from John, the Gospel of John chapter 15. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is John chapter 15, and I'll be reading starting at verse 9. As, this is Jesus talking. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So at this point in John's gospel, John chapter 15, we're kind of nearing the end of the road, the end of the, the story of the gospel, the end of, of John's telling of Jesus' story. And we're getting to the point where this, these are some of the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before kind of turning toward Jerusalem and, and making his way toward the cross. And so we know that the things that Jesus says in John 15 and 16 and 17, uh, these, are, these are some of the last things that his disciples heard. They're some of the most important things that Jesus wanted to leave them with. 
before he made his way to be crucified. And in, in the first part of John chapter 15, before we started reading from, chapter, uh, from verse 1, Jesus talks about, I am the true vine. And as, as Vern mentioned, in a couple weeks, we're going to start, uh, actually not a couple weeks, next week, we're going to start a sermon series on the I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. And so we'll hear a little bit more about what it means to abide or to remain in that vine of Jesus. But verse 9, we read that as the Father loved me, so I have loved you, says Jesus. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Do you remember the commands that Jesus talked about? There are a, a, a ton of commands in the Old Testament, but Jesus summed them up like this. He's, one time somebody asked him, what's, what's the most important? There are like 613 commandments in, in all of the Hebrew Scripture, right? The things leading up to the, the, the time of Jesus. And somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important out of all of those? And Jesus answered kind of right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is the, called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Uh, the Lord is our God. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then Jesus adds another one. He says, and, and another one like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of those 613 or so commands hang on these two things. Love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's hard for us to hear the word law because it sounds like there's like this obligation, right? There's this sense of duty. There's this sense of, oh, this thing that, that I have to do. And some of you maybe have grown up in an environment and maybe even in a church environment where you were told that, hey, you, th if you don't do this and this and that and that, like you're out of line. You got to step up. You got to do this. Uh, maybe you, you were raised that way and you kind of kind of come into the doors with, with that baggage of, of hearing like all the things that you're not measuring up. Maybe you just hear it in the world, right? All the ways you're not measuring up. But there's this sense when we talk about the law that there's, it's kind of this like heavy thing, right? That we can't possibly fulfill on our own, which of course is exactly the point of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that law so that we don't have to. But I think even in this, in, in, even in Jesus's words about fulfilling the commands that he gives, I don't think it's meant to be a burden that we bear. I think Jesus means it rather than an obligation I think Jesus means it as an invitation. It's not an obligation, but it's an invitation. And what Jesus intends and, and invites us to is to remain. To remain. Just as Jesus remained in God's love, he invites the disciples to remain in his love. To remain, to, to stay, to abide. Some translations stay. To, 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 to tarry is like an old word, right? To tarry there. To just, to like hang out. To like just chill, like to, to be in the flow of God's love. That's the invitation I think that Jesus offers here. So it's not about work. It's not about obligation. It's about, it's about being in the, the relationship that, that Jesus himself experiences as a part of the Trinity, right? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in eternal relationship with each other. Jesus says, I've listened and I've, and I've followed and I've been a part of, I've abided in the love of God and now I invite you to do the same as you've seen in me. And it, it, there's this sense of the, the, this dance that the Trinity is always doing, right? They're just, they're, they are love together, right? But it's this dance of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this mix of relationship, this, this, this flow of eternal 
love and life that God invites us to. And I think that's what, that's what Jesus is inviting us to in this passage. And he says this, he says, uh, verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Something of Jesus lives in us when we remain in him. Jesus gives us his joy when we remain in him. The message translates it this way. It says, I've told you these things for a purpose, that that my joy may be your joy, and your joy may be wholly mature, entirely mature. This this sense of mature joy, it's more than just happiness. It's more than a a feeling. It's, It's about staying in the flow. It's about staying connected to the vine. It's about experiencing, Jesus has experienced the fullness of God, and he shares that with us and invites us into it. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you were like in that flow? Like you were just feeling so aware of God's presence? I mean, we live in a beautiful place. So maybe it was when you were out hiking or out watching a, a sunrise or a sunset over the, over the Appalachian Mountains, over the Blue Ridge Mountains. Maybe you experienced there this, this sense of, man, God is awesome. Maybe it was at night when you looked up and you saw the star. Can you, can you believe the stars that are out there? I mean, if that, if that event, if those stars only shone one night a year, we would all be out there every single night, right? Being like, oh, wow. Look what God did. You ever experienced that awareness of God's presence? Maybe it was in a, in a conversation with a friend or a, a concert that you went to or a worship gathering or... I'll never forget my mom, uh, my mom's first experience with our firstborn, Emma. Um, she came, Emma's now like 11 years old, but when, when Emma was born, my mom uh, came to Chicago and, and stayed with us for a little bit and, uh, and gave us a chance to go out, uh, Carrie and I, a chance to, to go out and get dinner. And I think we actually went out for dinner and a movie. And my mom uh, was holding Emma in her lap and, and we went out for dinner and a movie and we came back and my mom hadn't moved. Like She was still sitting, it was like three hours, right? And she's still just sitting there just like, holding my daughter and just like rocking her in her lap. And I said, Mom, you you didn't get up. And she goes, oh, this has just been the best. Have you ever had a moment like that where just just everything in the world is as it should be? I think that's the kind of joy that Jesus is inviting us to when we love the way that the Father loved Jesus and the way that Jesus loved his disciples. That's the invitation this morning. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus loved as God loved him, and now the disciples are to love just as Jesus loved them. Jesus abides in the Father, passed on the love he received, stayed in the flow, and now Jesus commands or or invites us to do the same, that our joy might be entirely mature, might be wholly mature. Jesus says this, verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's kind of, this is sort of the focal point of this chapter, right? Like this is the gospel right here, right? This is like John 3.16 paraphrased in a different way, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his son to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, verse 14, we're going to come back to greater love, but Jesus says, you are my friends. You are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends 
for everything I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus doesn't hold anything back from us. Jesus remains in the Father's love. He abides in the Father's love. He knows what it is like to experience complete, full, rich, beautiful love and joy. He gives that to us. He passes it along to us, his friends. There's no hierarchy in that friendship, right? There's, there's no class. There's no, there's no secrets. There's, there's, there's a sense of equals instead when Jesus says this to his disciples. And think about what it means to be friends with somebody, right? It means that you, there's nothing that, that can come between you, right? You might have arguments, you might have difficult times, but if you're really friends, and I mean, I mean like real friends here, right? Not like social media friends or likes or anything like that, right? But real true friends in life. You share your, your thoughts and your feelings. You, you, you share things that are going on. You spend time together. You share your joys and your struggles you do life together. There's a, there's a deep intimacy there that's a part of true friendship, right? There's a, there's a closeness. There's a vulnerability. There's a willingness to open up and say, hey, here's, here's what's going on with me. Can you, can you just help me carry this or can you just help me sit with this? That's what true friendship looks like. It's, it's, it's knowing and being known by another. That's what Jesus says about his relationship with the disciples, and consequently his relationship with us. I call you my friends, Jesus says. There are only two other people in Scripture that are called friends of God. One is Moses, and the other one is Abraham. And if you've read any of Scripture, you know that those are kind of two pretty important people <laughs> in Scripture, right? Moses and Abraham. God's covenant with Israel, God's continued covenant of blessing to bless the whole world. They were called friends of God. And now Jesus says... You are my friends. It's like the highest possible relationship between God and humanity. I want you to just think about that for a second. What, what does it mean that the God of the universe says that I call you my friend? The God that authored those, those moments that I was just talking about a minute ago, those moments where everything is right in the world, those, those beautiful sunsets, those amazing stars, those, those relational connection points, those, those worshipful moments when we know God is with us. The God that, that made all of this stuff in every one of us, that God that has that kind of power. Not only us, have you ever, have you ever seen like one of those things where they zoom out from the earth Right? And, and then you see like all the stars and then you see the galaxy and then you see the universe and how like we're just, like you get far enough back you can't even see us anymore. The God who made all of that with a word is your friend and calls you friend. That is mind-blowing. And yet that's the relationship that God invites us into through his son Jesus. Who says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's a singer, uh, songwriter called, uh, named Andy Gullihorn. I don't know if any of you have heard of him before. His wife uh, is Jill. They do a lot of uh, singing and touring together. Um, they were part of Andrew Peterson's tour that came through here um, around Christmas. I don't, if you've never heard of any of these people, look, oh man, look up Andrew Peterson. Look up Andy Gullihorn. Um, they're fantastic. They're, they, they write such beautiful lyrics and such human expressions of what it means to, to, to follow Jesus. Uh, but Andy Gullihorn writes this song called If You Want to Love Someone. 
And the, the chorus goes like this. If you want to love someone, search their soul for where it's broken. Find the cracks and pour your heart in if you want to love someone. Search their soul for where it's broken. Find the cracks and pour your heart in if you want to love someone. Friends, that is what Jesus did for us. That's what sacrificial love looks like. It's the most difficult, the the most vulnerable kind of love that God calls us to. And yet, he doesn't call us to do anything that God hasn't done already. So through Christ, think about this, right? We're talking about the glory and the grandeur of creation. Christ existed in relationship in the Trinity with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before all time. Jesus left that glory of heaven and came down to do what? To become a baby. Is there anything more vulnerable in our world than a, than a baby? Like, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't do anything, right? He was completely at the mercy of Mary and Joseph for his next meal, for his next diaper change, for, for everything, right? He was fully human. He left the glory of heaven to come down and be a vulnerable baby that at times, you know what, looked like he may or may not make it, right? He's persecuted uh, by, by Romans. He's persecuted by all kinds, even before he gets started, right? He has to flee to Egypt. Incredible that God would demonstrate God's love for us in that way by becoming the weakest, most vulnerable thing on the planet. A little baby. And yet he comes like that. He comes completely dependent on his parents. Just like Jesus said, he is in relation. He's learned everything that he knows from God the Father. And he's completely dependent on that. And he is obedient to God. And in that obedience, Jesus searches out the brokenness of the world in every form, right? And, and pours his heart out that all might know the deep, deep love of God. Jesus, in doing so, stretched out his arms on the cross, right? Holding nothing back, offering himself fully vulnerably exposed, not thinking about what's in it for him, not thinking about how we, whether we deserve it or not, not thinking about how we're going to respond to that invitation of love. When Jesus says, I love you, he doesn't wait to see what we say. He just does it anyway, right? He offers that, just being obedient to the Father whose love, who is love, <laughs> and whose love sent Jesus to us, whether we love him back or not. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one another. For Jesus to lay down his life meant the cross, right? But I wonder what that means for us today. It's, it's, there are certainly parts in the world, we talked about it, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second, um, where, we are, where people are called to lay down their lives for other people. It's not probably that likely that any of us in this room will be called to that, to lay down our life in a, in a literal sense, right? So what do, we, what do we make of this scripture? What, do we, how do we, what does it look like for us to lay down our lives? I think it means, just like we sang earlier, to, to, to experience life with our arms wide open to whatever God might invite us to next, to whatever way God might invite us to join and to participate in the coming kingdom to climb the mountain with our arms 
wide open to whatever God has, to let go of the, the dreams that we have for our life in the way that we thought things were going to go because life doesn't always go that way, does it? And I think sometimes that's what, it, that's what Jesus is inviting us to in sacrificial love, to, to let go of our ideas of what we're supposed to do with our life and to be open to God's idea for what God might do in and through us, through his son Jesus, so that others might know what it means to live sacrificially. Putting aside what we feel, putting aside what's comfortable, putting aside our, our prejudices, our beliefs, our, our emotions, whether we connect or agree with someone or not, we're called to consider that person more than we are, right? To, to consider that person more important than we are in humility and in sacrificial love, to, to lay down our lives, to lay down our plans, to even when we, when we already know that we're right and we don't want to let go, right? We want to clutch. We want to hold on to our opinions and, and whatever, whatever perceived injustice we've experienced. We want to hold on to that. Jesus invites us to maybe just let it go and to experience the joy, the mature joy of what pure, what pure and true love feels like. And I wonder how our world might look different if we approached everything like that, right? Whether it's uh, just everyday life, going to our jobs, going to our work, trying to figure out what our next job or work is going to be. What would it look like to approach that sacrificially with, with hands wide open, with grace? What would it look like to go to a school board meeting about who's going to wear masks and to approach that with grace? And to know that maybe we don't have all the answers. And maybe the people who have given of themselves to serve and make those decisions for us don't have all the answers either. What does it look like to hold that with arms wide open, with grace, and with full and complete joy? Same thing for a, for a town council meeting, right? What does it look like? I, we heard from the mission moment about the Heastons and about an opportunity to help provide a home for somebody who's a refugee. Man, that might be uncomfortable, right? They might not look like us. They may not speak our language. They might be infringing on our space. Like literally, you might have space to help provide a home for this person. But man, that might be uncomfortable, right? Because I normally use that room to whatever. I go do my wordle in the morning, right? Whatever it is, right? Like that's my space. Like, but maybe it's a space that's God's space, right? If we, if we hold everything loosely with arms wide open to experience the joy that God might be inviting us to if we experience sacrificial love. So how do we know if we're, if we're, actually, <laughs> if we're actually loving well, if we're doing this right? Well, I can tell you how you can know if you're, if you're not doing it right. And that's because I continually struggle with this, right, of loving sacrificially. I, it can be the littlest things, you guys. Like I can be cleaning the kitchen like at the end of the day, right? And I want to make sure that everybody knows that, hey, look, I'm cleaning the kitchen. Everybody see this? And like I do it all the time. So it's not like a big deal, but it feels like sometimes like at the end of the day, you, like you had all of work and all the, all the home and family stuff that had to happen. And then, you, and then you're just tired and you just want to chill out. And but then you look at the kitchen and it's a wreck and you go in there and you clean it. And I, and I like if I serve sacrificially, I'm just going to do the dishes and shut up and like just do it, right? But I don't. I want the gold stars. I want everybody to know, hey, cleaning the kitchen here. Or whatever it is, right? Hey, taking care of the animals. I saw nobody put food in the dog's bowl. So I'm going to do it right now. Here we go. Click that. He makes that noise, right? Like, you hear that? Here it is, me serving. <laughs> that's how, that's sometimes <laughs> how I serve. And that's how we know we're doing it wrong, right? If it's about letting other people know, <laughs> then we're not doing it right. 
Serving sacrificially means just do the thing that needs done, the thing that God's asked you to do. And God gives us the joy of Jesus to accomplish that, right? Because here's the thing, we can't, we can't do it on our own. We can't love that person that we can't stand, right? We can't love them, the the people that we don't like, unless Jesus helps us do that, right? Unless we're experiencing the sacrificial love of Jesus, we can't pass that along. It's like a block. Like there's something in the way that prevents us from doing it. And it's our ego and it's our sin that prevents us from doing that, from making that connection, from living into that love that, that God calls us to. We can't do it on our own. And that's why Jesus says, hey, hang out with me. Like be in this flow, be in this divine love that, that I am experiencing with the Father. That's what I'm offering to you. And that's what God is offering you today as well. You and me and everyone the opportunity to be in the flow of God's sacrificial, never-ending, non-judgmental, no matter what happens kind of love for you and for me. There's some people who are living into that. Um, man, it's, as Ben mentioned, we, we see what's going on in the Ukraine and in Russia. And I, I just want to read to you some examples of some people who are responding much better than my response of selfishness. Uh, they're responding out of selflessness and sacrificial love. There's, I read an article from uh, Christianity Today talked about pastors' responses and faith leaders' responses to what was happening in Ukraine this week. Here's a pastor who lives 18 miles north of Kiev. Uh, his name's Vassil Ostry. And he's a professor of youth ministry as well. And he says this, he says, when this whole thing is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. He says, we will shelter the weak, we'll serve the suffering, we'll mend the broken. And as we do, we will offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. There's an educator who teaches theology. His name's Teres uh, Diatlik. And he wrote a letter, a prayer letter uh, for believers on both sides of the conflict over there. And he said this in his letter. He said, please pray about Russian Christians that they would raise their prayers and their voice toward the government to stop the aggression, that they would not keep silent. Please, please pray for Western governments, governments of the U.S. and the European Union. And, he says, and then he says this. He says, finally, please pray about Ukrainian Christians, that we will serve and live as the community of hope in the fullest sense of this term. That during these terrible times, he says, we would invite more and more people to the relationships with God and his children that matter, to the relationships of love and hope and encouragement and support. That our minds and characters would continue to transform into the character of Jesus Christ. That is his prayer. This is from somebody who's, who, who can look around and see the destruction, who can, who can hear the bombs going off in his own neighborhood. He's he's put out a call to other seminaries in the area to be willing to take in refugees who have no other place to go, whose homes were were destroyed by by the war that's happening there now. This is what he says. He says, hey, we're doing this because of the sacrificial love of Jesus. We're doing this because to love like this is reflective of the character of Jesus who loves all of us and invites us to love sacrificially in ways that hurt, in ways that aren't comfortable, in ways that go against our ego, in ways that, that don't make any sense. Right? Both of these pastors had a chance to get out. They could have left, but they didn't. They stayed because they were there with their arms wide open, just like Jesus' arms are wide open for you and I. 
to share the love of Christ that people might know, especially in the darkest of times, in the darkest of circumstances, that there is hope and there is love that is greater than the destruction that's before us. Friends, I think that's what Jesus is inviting us to today. And so I, I know it's, it's heavy and it's hard to relate personally maybe to, to what's going on in Ukraine, but I just, I just want to remind you that God is calling us, especially as we enter this season of Lent, as, as we prepare to think about the sin of the world and our sins that put Jesus on the cross, what are the ways in which we can participate in the redemption that happened on the cross? What are the ways we can live into the freedom that was born out of the resurrection? How might God be inviting us to take just, just one step in sacrificial love this Lenten season, to, to, to know the kind of love that we can only experience by abiding in Christ? The kind of sacrificial love that causes us to search out brokenness and pour our hearts into it. The kind of vulnerable love that Jesus showed to say, I love you and here's how much. to lay down our lives, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. So I invite you to just just, just be in prayer about that this week as we approach Ash Wednesday and, and the holy season coming up. I invite you to pray about how God might be asking you to, to let go, to open up, to hold your heart open, to, to be willing to say I love you, whether it's through words or actions, maybe even to somebody that you don't even really like. What does that look like? because that's what God did for us through Jesus on the cross. Friends, will you pray with me? Loving God, we hear these words and we see your example in Jesus, what it looks like to die to ourselves and to follow you. And, and Oh, God, it's so hard, but we, we want to be able to do the same. We want to be willing to open ourselves up to what you would have for us but it's, it's tough. It's easier to cling to what we know. It's easier to cling to what's familiar. It's easier to hold on to the baggage that we carry, to, to hold on to the hurts that we've experienced, to the, to the wrongs and the in, injustices that have happened in our lives. It's easy to hold on to that stuff and in so doing, to cut off the flow of your love. And so God, as we prepare to enter into the season of Lent, we ask that you would work on our hearts where they are hardened. Would you soften them? To work on our hands where they are clenched in fists. Would you help us to open them up to new possibility of love and sacrifice? To, to, to help us to know that where we are feeling selfish and entitled, Lord, that you invite us to let go of that and to, to become selfless as you did through Christ. To, to become vulnerable not because that, that makes us weak, but that in that weakness, we can experience your strength. God, may we know what it, what it feels like to be loved fully, no matter what we have done, no matter what we carry. And may we know that that love comes from you and only you. And that there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from that love. Help us to know that deep, deep, in our bones this week and always, Lord. 
we might take just one step toward you this morning, this week, this season of Lent, that we might take one step toward abiding in you and toward laying down our lives so that others might learn something. Maybe the other is just us this morning. Maybe it's just us that we might learn something more about your presence and your love for us through Jesus Christ. And in that way, Lord, may the kingdom be one step closer to coming. We pray this all in Christ's name.